right. Welcome to our Bags, Bacon and Beyond podcast series brought to you by QED Inc. Today we'll be talking about sustainability. I am Asir Borges and I'm Steve Dombrowski, the Director of Consumer Markets for QED. Asir, how are you doing today? And I just wanted to give you a touch base. I did read that white paper. Uh, that you wrote. Interesting stuff. And talk about an elephant in the room. I think there's a couple of elephants in the room, not just one, when we talk about managing sustainability and all the burdens in packaging and food and beverage. Absolutely, Steve. And um, first of all, higher operational costs. No one talks about that sustainability will certainly bring some higher operational costs like raw materials or components. Um, efficiencies that will certainly will in at least initially will be reduced tracking and you know quality and traceability it's going to be a big deal too and the packaging industry we have another thing too which is the pcr or post-consumer recycled quality and i think that in both uh, we're going to have the uh, uh, fragmented supply chain and above all it's going to take everyone and the whole society to resolve it. it's not just one company or one person it's going to be a, a collective um, you know effort to 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 maintain sustainability what do you think about it? No, I agree with you 100% on all those topics. And, and and I think we when you talk about sustainability, obviously packaging and food and beverage are you know, children from the same mother. We're, we're, we're dealing with the same issues. But it's you also have to look kind of at the higher level in terms of what does it even mean? I was having a conversation with one customer and they said, well, to us, sustainability is, you know, turn the lights on and off when you leave the room. But for other people, it's uh, especially when you're dealing with food packaging, you know, certain states have certain limits in terms of what ingredients can go into the packaging. So if you look on the bottom of a cardboard box, you'll actually see certain state seals and says, this doesn't have this, this doesn't have that. So, I mean, you can take it. There's such a range. I think people are still defining what sustainability even means to their company and to their business. Yes, absolutely. And um... And the other elephant in the room that people don't talk much about it is that today, at least in the, from the packaging point of view, just 12% of total plastic in the world is recycled. The companies have been doing a good job together with, obviously, food and beverage to with the two, two of the five R's, which is I'm talking primarily about reducing and reformatting. And consumer pressure is just increasing. Uh, today, it's uh, over 83% of consumers saying that they are taking environmental issues into consideration. And interestingly enough, today I saw a piece of uh, information that says 59% of consumers in the world would pay more for eco-friendly packaging. That is an interesting subject. And our food and beverage customers and food and beverage manufacturers worldwide are actually running into this because they're experimenting with different types of packaging materials. Food and beverage manufacturers are getting pushed by the consumers. Just like years ago, the, the drive for traceability, everybody thought it was the government's pursuing regulations, and it was, but the consumers were driving those regulations. And it's the same with sustainability now. It's the consumer who's saying, hey, I want to know my coffee is sourced ethically. I want to know my tea is sourced uh, ethically. And it's the same with packaging materials. They want to make sure that you know this stuff is it can be recycled or reused, and they're, they're driving that market. So so they would pay for if it had to cost more. Yep. And 
still regarding the current status, I would say that, you know, to your point, regulations will also follow, especially in the packaging industry, and that will eventually affect brand owners in, in food and beverage space as well. As an example, the UK has enacted a, a bill that's going into effect sometime next year in 2021, and primarily they're going to tax any packaging materials or any packaging with less than 30% of PCR, or post-consumer recycled. And we don't know at this point of time if that's going to be an incentive or it's just going to be an additional cost that is going to be transferred down to the consumer. Yep. And, and that's that's being forced, I think, through uh, multiple industries, multiple type of products. In fact, this week, you and I shared about the paper wine bottle uh, that's now coming up. So the people are experimenting with that. And, you know, what would it be like to have a just a heavy duty paper wine bottle? That'd be great for recycling. I personally think they should make a chocolate wine bottle because I, I know how I'd recycle that chocolate after I drank the wine. But that's another subject for another day. Yeah, but definitely, you know, they're talking about the edible packaging. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to be a little bit away from that. But um I think it might eventually come. But um, one of the things, and this is another big elephant in the room, is not so much about the packaging, uh, because packaging has been blamed for everything bad in the environment. But packaging, at the end of the day, does a pretty good job in protecting both the food and the beverages that we eat or drink. And this is a, a fact of life. And not only those, but even for consumer products, so, you know, they protect the electronics we buy in, at stores, the computers, the headsets or what have you. And with that, they do a pretty good job. But at the end of the day, I think the big elephant in the room is what do we do with the packaging after we are done opening the box? And after we, we are done with that, so or the bottle or the can or whatever packaging we are talking about. So it's what we do with the end of life cycle of the packaging materials as a society. You're exactly right. And if you think about it, you know, and, and depending how you want to, you know, if you were looking at something, a piece of paper graphically describe this. Uh, you're talking about something very similar to what automotive is facing. You know, the end of the internal combustion engine, it's the same thing. I mean, people complaining about the emissions of an automobile, but uh, okay, so let's take the car away. And what happens? You can't go anywhere. Well, let's take away the packaging away. So what are you going to get? You're not going to get any food unless you walk up somewhere and somebody dumps, you know, food into your hand. And I don't think that'll work for a hot cup of soup. You don't want that poured in your hand. So it's a, it's a double-headed serpent, just like what automotive is facing. And that's why they're moving to the different, you know, uh, electronic cars and i think packaging and food and beverage need to work together to in the same type of manner to say okay how do we how do we handle this like you said because we're obviously reaching a critical issue by these packaging causing problems but like you said it's not the evil because we everybody's got to eat every podcast you and i do you're going to hear that from me everybody's got to eat so we need to deliver the food some way somehow it just has to be in the most efficient and uh you know sustainable and ethically sourced uh, way yes and absolutely and um, everything that your customers on your vertical they do we're gonna have or they produce 
we we have to protect and we have to pack. So that's uh, the way it is. But remember that at the end of the day, life cycle starts with the consumer with uh, the proper disposal. If uh, the consumer doesn't dispose where uh, he or she has to do it, you're still gonna see, uh, you know, plastic bottles on the oceans, uh, lakes, or parks, or what have you. So disposal is the first step. Then you need collection. And after collection and selective collection, you need to separate things um, right from the collection. Then after collection, you have sorting. And then after good sorting, you can recycle. So as I said, you need you have a long way until you actually uh, get into what's so-called the circular economy, where everything that you dispose, or properly dispose, I should say, gets back to the productive chain, and, um, and you, you are in the circular economy. So that's why I said from the beginning, it's going to be um, uh, an effort from the whole society. It is. It's it's a mindset. I mean, if you look at it, bottle deposits have been around now for years. And that was started years ago to kind of force recycling. So the government said, hey, if we impose a, you know, a cost that you pay in addition to the fee for the beverage or package you're buying in the bottle, we're going to charge. And every state was different. In Michigan, it's still 10 cents here. But you pay for this and that'll force people to recycle. I don't have the statistics in front of me. I got to imagine it might have helped a little bit, but probably not near as enough because when I drive down the street, I still see plastic bottles on the side of the road and on beaches and things like that. You know, it's kind of trying to manage it that way. It, I think everything has a price. So you have to figure out where, you know, where does it start? Yeah. And you're right. Big, because basically, as I said, uh, today is just 12% of the total plastic in the world is recycled. There you but go. Let's talk about um, what the future looks like. First of all, from my, since I brought that up from my side, uh, one thing for sure, it's uncertain, except that it's not going to be the same thing as it is today. There are several ideas and proposals, um, you know, being floating around, uh, EPR, tax pen or, or penalties, uh, mandatory PCR content, bans on selected materials, prohibition of single use, and especially uh, there is a big question if the prohibition on single-use plastic is going to stick after COVID. There, there are some signs that it won't, uh, but at the same time, people will still be reluctant to, to change it. So in single-stick, especially during COVID, look at the grocery store chains. They, they don't want to see your, your personal grocery store bags and in their stores, they would rather prefer you to, to take either paper or plastic uh, back home, but not your personal ones because no one knows how they have been uh, hygienized. So how do you see those things from Well, you bring up some really interesting topics here. Um, so, and of course, I think... I think for years to come, we're always, no matter what topic we we talk about, it's going to, at some point in time, COVID-19 is going to pop its, uh, rear its ugly head. We were actually here in the town I live in, in Western Michigan. We were actually shut down from recycling for six weeks because the recycling center where everything is processed was shut down because they didn't want their employees coming in contact with recyclable items that people who might have been infected with the virus has touched. So they shut it down. So we got with the local communities and everybody's like, well, hey, I'm not going to accumulate all this recycling garbage in my garage and wait to pick up. What do we do? And they said, throw it out anyway. So here you go. So we added to the problem. 
And then when you're talking about those, the bringing your own grocery bags into the stores, what's interesting is there are some states where you have to pay. If you don't bring in your own bag, you have to pay for a bag. But yet they were the ones also saying, hey, you can't bring in your own bags, but you still got to pay for new bags. So that's kind of a catch 22 there. So what do you run into there? And I think these these are going to be some of the debatable topics. And I unfortunately don't have an answer for these uh, questions, but that are going to be running forward. And it's going to all track back into the food manufacturer, I think, in terms of, well, how do we handle this? If our customers or consumers have to use certain types of bags, is there something we can do? And it just, I think it's just opening up an, a couple other Pandora boxes in the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. But let's change gears a little bit. And um, yeah, there are a lot of things that we all know that's going to be difficult, but that doesn't preclude anyone from doing nothing. So let's talk about what companies can do about it. So the first thing in, in my opinion is, as we don't know exactly what's coming up next, companies will have to at least adapt themselves or, or or cater themselves should be flexible in every single sense flexible and adaptable and for instance in packaging i think about uh, formulas and recipes uh, companies will have to start you know thinking about what they would do in terms of incorporating uh, recycled materials into their packaging and what would be the impact in the overall company ranging from the the performance of the final product into managing formulas, managing the uh, supply chain that's going to be more fragmented, uh, enhance the traceability and ramp up all the plans in terms of these new models and new things. Is that the same for you? Yes, it, it is. And again, with, I think, first and foremost, food manufacturers are looking at their packaging materials that they use and working with the packaging industry to, to have more sustainable packaging for the food. But because of the materials that are being used, that also may lead to a potential disruption in the integrity of the actual food item that that package is holding. So food manufacturers have to look and say, well, do I need to modify the food product to meet the new packaging requirements? Maybe certain ingredients won't work with certain types of materials. Maybe certain types of uh, spices, certain types of ingredients won't work. If, like we joked before about the paper wine bottle, if something is a heavy duty paper, there might be some sort of acid type of additive to a product that might erode that packaging material. So I think um, one of the things you're saying in terms of rethinking formulas and recipes is, is without question an issue that food companies have to take into account while dealing with the advances and where do we go in terms of packaging, not just from a sustainability standpoint, but just in the advances of packaging, because people are looking for easier to use bottles and cans for portability and things of that nature. So definitely, definitely, this is on the forefront of the industry's mind, I believe. And I would also add another thing, too, in terms of what they can do. And uh, and I don't agree with anyone you said, uh, you said so far. Um, but um, I believe that um, also companies can or should consider alliances, especially with uh, environmental NGOs that can advocate, educate, and for them to network with, advocate on behalf of sustainability, educate consumers, politicians, local governments, 
can network with everyone in the industry, in the ecosystem, pun intended here, uh, in terms of, um, you know, other similar companies, uh, recyclers, everyone in the industry. So I, I agree with you 100 percent. You bring up a very good point. The whole partnership thing, you know, for years, manufacturers, no matter what you made, you know, you were kind of a wholly owned entity. You were your own thing. And over the last several years, we're starting to see interesting things in terms of promotions with companies um, who are working with other companies to do joint promotions. And it's it's like, for example, a cookie company and a dairy company that might not be owned by the same company, but they're saying, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Let's put a put coupon on the gallon of milk, 25 cents off a package of cookies and vice versa. So you're starting to see these external partnerships and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to bring up COVID-19. What I'm seeing in industries now are unlikely partnerships between multiple types of companies getting together to saying, hey, let's work together to, to work through this issue of COVID-19. And I think it's going to prove uh, beneficial for other things such as sustainability. You might be, some of our colleagues use the term in one of their podcasts, unlikely bedfellows. I think you're going to see that moving forward in different industries as an example set by COVID-19. And I think sustainability is one area where we can do that. Definitely. I believe that the other thing that companies will have to do in both segments, um, and I mean uh, packaging as well as in food and beverage, will be smart investments in technologies. One thing for sure, and I can't stress that more, you know, with all these disruptions that we we have seen so far, and there's still um, risk that they're going to be here for a long while, is connectivity. So investments in systems that uh, allow total connectivity and integration of the company in all the, the, the departments so that you can have visibility over supply chain that's going to be more com complex, information that's accessible on any device, anywhere, uh, asset management and maintenance, it's going to be a big deal. There's going to be a need for more compliance with um, FDA rules or any other regulations, uh, either for e-commerce, uh, drop tests, and all these things. Quality, uh, they're going to have to automate processes, enhance securities, and the whole nine yards. So that's um, that's one thing that we, uh, you know, we've been talking about that we spoke about it in the in our last episodes. But I, I once again, uh, technology is going to play a big role on that. Well, technology is the driving force because it's it's it kind of supersedes uh, everything right now. I mean, if you re reflect back in, in our last podcast, you and I kind of joked about this in terms of, you know, our, our ages and experience similar. If you remember as a kid, you know, you go to the store to pay for something. It was a manual cash register. If you had a credit card, they had the, the little paper thing and they put the credit card down, they slid it and it posted an imprint. And, uh, you know, you pay via credit card and a month later you get a bill and you go on your way. Today, if a network goes down, you, you can't buy anything at a grocery store. I, they can't ring it up. And the cashier throws their hands. The manager holds their hand. They're like, well, our systems are down. We can't buy anything. So whereas technology is absolutely fantastic and I'm not complaining about it. You know, it does govern certain things. So that's where connectivity, I don't think we can ever be good as we should be on connectivity. And data and information, knowledge is power, as they say. And knowledge 
has to and data has to match the physical supply chain. And I always tell people there are two supply chains that have to run hand in hand, the digital and the physical. Um, because if that physical supply chain is moving and the data can't keep up with it, the physical is going to stop. And I think you're looking at this again, no matter what issue you're talking about, sustainability is right there. You need connectivity and you need information to help come up with these decisions to manage this whole process. Absolutely. And the good news is that the infrastructure, especially in connectivity, has has improved quite a bit over the past years. And therefore, cloud-based systems have been a whole lot more pervasive. And I believe that they are the solution moving forward because not only they address security issues, but um, above all, I think that the good thing about cloud-based systems is that they reduce the CAPEX requirements uh, because you don't need to, to have uh, investments in infrastructure and that, in turn, allows investments in, in uh, productive assets. And I believe that this is also necessary in every single industry, including food and beverage, not only packaging, because they're going to need investments in, in new assets, especially in production assets. But uh, before we move into that, into that part, I, I want to hear uh, what you have to say about cloud-based in the, in the food and beverage. I think... <laughs> For moving to the future, if a food and beverage company isn't on the cloud, I think it's going to end up being disastrous. Again, no matter what subject matter you're talking about within that industry, because, again, knowledge is power, information is power, and you need information and data to, to move product today. And the old school methodology ways of not being up to speed in technology is just not going to work. And food and beverage companies, traditionally, lower margin businesses, but they were focused on making their food or beverage products. They didn't consider themselves manufacturers. They're artisans. We don't want to be system experts, you'd hear them say. But to a degree today, they have to be in terms of using it efficiently to get their jobs done. And I think companies are seeing, and again, here's strike three, you're out. Here's the third time I'm bringing it up. COVID-19 is showing these companies that you know you need to be on the cloud for to keep things moving and connectivity and i think it's finally been a wake up call to food and beverage manufacturers that embracing these new technologies is not a bad thing it's a good thing and it's it's going to help them to even reach new levels and new heights of their businesses because it's going to provide so much more valuable information for example dealing with getting crop information at the at, from the split second something happens in a field it could go all the way back to the manufacturer and they can say hey we have to change gears because the crops aren't growing the way they are and you know is that sustainability to a degree it is but technology and being on the cloud i think is is the prescriptive formula for food and beverage companies success in the future regardless of the subject matter absolutely i agree with you and and this is the other thing too in the you know what i said about clouds it's going to primarily release funds to be uh, invested in flexible production equipment because, as I said, you know, efficiencies will eventually go down because of uh, recycled materials, because of more sustainable uh, stuff. And, um, and as a result, uh, investing in machines that are a little more forgiven and a little more flexible from the operational parameters point of view uh, it's going to be a, a, 
a need that companies on both sides should um, should pay attention to. Exactly, hundred percent agree with you there. It's um, again, I technology is a good thing. People need to embrace it. Um, and again, uh, the industry that I support is uh, it was a little slow in certain regards. Their focus would be on you know an asset to to improve throughput and minimize overtime because that's dollars to the bottom line. But what they're seeing now is investments in some of these other areas of technology will have the same type of impact down the road in terms of on profitability and overall, you know, organization effectiveness, as you say. Yep. And with that, I think that we conclude the episode for today. I would like to thank Catherine Wagner. That's our producer. And, uh, and her team as well, and uh, some of the other guys in the uh, Marcom department here. And um, stay tuned for, for the next episodes. We should be talking about some real interesting things, um, like the uh, OEE. Or we ha- we're going to have an episode just based for OEE, and that's going to going to be something I'm looking forward to. Right, Steve? Yes, I'm looking forward to it as usual. And uh, next time, leave the elephants out because now I got to open the windows. (laughs) All right. Okay, guys. Thank you.